One of the biggest challenges for perfectionists is that they're wired in a way that relaxation and comfort almost feel wrong to them. Having adrenaline rushing through your system feels right. Moving really quickly feels right. That's their access point. So it's like, okay, if we can access you there, how can we slowly start to rewire and retrain your body so that comfort actually feels comfortable? Hi, everybody. This is Jessica with Mindscaping Podcast. And today I am speaking to Audrey Holst, who is a coach and consultant for perfectionists. Hi, Audrey. Hi, Jessica. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, You're a coach for perfectionists. Uh, This is the topic that really got me. I was like, I have to have her on. Um, I am a recovering perfectionist. I guess I'm recovering. I'm working on it day by day, constantly. It's it's very, very challenging for me to push those boundaries. So I'm fascinated that this is something that you specialize in and do for a living. Can you tell me more about maybe what brought you to this particular specialty? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm also (laughs) a recovering perfectionist. So I think that's a lot of what led me into this work. Um, And the good news is, well, I don't know if it's good news, but it is news that both of us are not alone. Um, I just launched the perfectionism interviews where I just put a general call out to people who wanted to talk about their perfectionism. And within a week, I had 60 people who I didn't even know most of them who were like, yes, I definitely want to talk about this topic. So anybody who's listening, who's like, (laughs) am I the only one? No, you're not the only one. And this is a topic that's really uh, grabs a lot of people because so many people can relate to it. So what really brought me into this work was uh, my interest in, in people. I started, uh, when I started my coaching practice, uh, I think it's been about six years, six or seven years now, uh, I started working with people that had burnout. And I did a lot of work with burnout. And I thought that that was going to be sort of where I was going to put my focus. But as I got more and more into that work, I realized, you know, there are so many contributing factors to burnout. And I wasn't interested in addressing all of them. I was interested in addressing people, right? People as individuals and to empower people as individuals. And so as I started to dig into that more and more, I realized, oh, there is a common thread that is weaving themselves throughout all of these people that I'm talking with and it's perfectionism. And when I started to realize, oh, right, that's my own personal embodied experience also, um, it all started to click into place and that became a really easy um, and relatable. And I think having gone through and continuously going through it myself, it's something that allows me to connect to and and help people from that place also. Sure. And you're probably continuously learning about it still and applying things and trying them out. So there's, there's all this freshness around it that you're giving to clients as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a lifetime practice. And it's a I'm a voracious learner. I am constantly mm-hmm. interested and updating and researching and learning. So it's something that I, um, I'm extremely passionate about and I'm always learning more and more about. I love it. I love it. So what's, what's helped you the most? Are there one or two things that really helped you step over that boundary of like, okay, I'm going to let this urge to have everything perfect go. And I'm going to try this. Are there, is there a certain practice? Is there someone that you studied with? One of the biggest turning points for me 
was starting to connect with my perfectionism on a body level. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of people experience, and this is, I'm speaking from, you know, a lot of the interviews I've done and, and working with clients, a lot of people experience perfectionism as either a sort of negative voice that is constantly driving them, or perhaps a feeling like a feeling of anxiety or nervousness or shame, right? There's, there's these mm. two things that people tend to identify with and see as, okay, when I am identifying with perfectionism, this is what I, this is what I feel, or this is what I, I think. And one of the things that, uh, that helped me was this mindful awareness and acknowledgement of what was happening in my body in moments of perfectionism. And this was something that I, I had never really put a finger on for a long time. I was trying really hard to wrangle my thoughts and to think differently, but it wasn't working. And so I, I have like 16 years of movement and meditation, mindfulness experience. And I really started to hone into what happens in my body? What do I actually experience in my body during perfectionism? And I started to notice things like tension and energy, um, sensations in my chest, sensations in my gut. And I started to realize if I can be aware of what I am feeling and not judge it and be aware of it, I actually have a better chance. And I, this is where I start to look at perfectionism and nervous system. Mm -hmm. I start to realize how attached my nervous system is to my experience of perfectionism. And so that is really where I approach this work. I love it. So you're, yeah, you're finding that somatic connection between yeah, yeah. nervous system and, and a memory or a behavior you know, just a way of acting over and over that, that really deep rooted connection sometimes can be so deep is unconscious or just barely subconscious conceptions of, of how we go about life and they're integrated into the body. Um, I'm a, I've a movement therapist too. I've been a massage therapist for 20 years mm -hmm. and I teach yoga for 10 years or maybe 12 years by now. Uh, and I grew up as a dancer too. So I've mm -hmm. always been very aware of my body, very in my body, but um, I've lived in New York city for 17 years now. Wow. And you can, you can start to feel as, as life stresses and like a different, a different sort of uh, nervous system reality takes over yeah. and you do start to come, you start to become less aware of feeling in your physical body. So I, I think this is such an important, important way to get people to tune back into their intuition and, you know, rewire their thinking and their new behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the most important things is to approach it without judgment and understanding that a lot of this comes from like a lot of these things are I, I see it as a survival a survival instinct essentially that's wired in us right a lot mm. of people that I've talked to they even have origins that they can point to as right being little and and things that happened when they were little and these certain behaviors that they took on in order to navigate the world when they were small which I you know I can point to those same origins points in myself so a lot of us, and it is uh, reinforced as we get older, right? Through our achievements, right? We get reinforced 
and and praise for our achievements and what for we can produce and what we can give people and what we can do for people and for perfectionists that produce a really high quality work and really detail oriented and show up for people and often anticipate people's needs in a lot of different ways that really satisfies the people around them and and often at the expense of their own well-being and 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 uh, you know so it, it becomes a very difficult thing to untangle when your suffering produces good results for other people. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you work with a lot of wellness professionals yourself, caregivers? Yeah, I know it's a, a lot of the people that I I work with tend to be people that have that personality, like a caregiver personality, but a yeah. lot of people that are in high stress work. So it tends to be, I tend to get people who are in, I, you know, lawyers, <laughs> uh -huh, <laughs> so I tend uh -huh. to get a lot of more, <laughs> you know, people who are in sort of high pressure jobs, because a lot of people won't address this unless it's affecting their work. Right. That's kind of the first thing, right? Because again, we've been trained that the bottom line is the number one priority. Yeah, there are. I, I have several clients too over the years that are in those very high pressure. They work 12 or 13 hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of attorneys actually mm -hmm. <laughs> in finance, um, but they have the naturally a caregiving tendency. That's their personality. So there's yeah. automatically a sort of a conflict there. Uh, and and they, their sense of self-care is extremely diminished usually. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. These are people who care for others in a very overt and amazing way yes. and aren't able to, and literally a lot of them, it's like they're not able to show up for themselves and give themselves that same amount of consideration and care and kindness. And it is amazing the um, like harshness that a lot of these people that I talk to, right, clients and, and a lot of these people I'm, I'm interviewing, it's amazing the harshness that they direct towards themselves in relation to, to a lot of things in their life. I saw on, I, I believe I saw this on your website, I saw something about structure and risk. Maybe we were talking about this pre-interview, that mm -hmm. you were working on getting more comfortable, like, combining the two or having both structure and risk in your same environment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, uh, so one of the things that, that is something that perfection, people that struggle with perfectionism, one of the things that they really want, and actually this is something that's common to the human condition in general, we want consistency. We want to be able to find something that is reliable. We want predictability right? It just makes things easier for us when we can predict and we can understand, which is um, why I don't know when people are going to be listening to this, but, you know, we are in still in and coming out of the tail end of a global pandemic. So it's been extremely difficult on people to find these sort of solid footholds. So structure is something we really want. And perfectionism really wants to tr try to control, right? It wants to control schedules. It wants to often control other people's behaviors. It wants to mm. be able to have a sure outcome, right? If I do this, then I'll get this and I'm guaranteed this, which right. is not how people work, right? <laughs> no. So there has to be a certain amount of discomfort that we can acknowledge is part of the human existence and get on board with it, which is something that is so one of the hardest things I've noticed for perfectionists to 
to get on board with, right? So it's like, we want the structure. We want to have something that's predictable, which is reasonable and in certain mm -hmm. ways attainable, right? When it comes to schedules and that sort of thing. But then we also have to understand that there is, for lack of a better term, risk. You know, like we can't predict the outcomes to things. We can't always predict how people are going to react. We can't predict how people are going to behave, even though we can try to control as much as, you know, as much as we try. So it's it's creating enough structure that we can relax into the structure and then allowing for our ability to be with discomfort enough that we can acknowledge that, you know what, you can do everything so-called perfectly and something might go sideways or something's going to get in the way or somebody's going to be disappointed or somebody's going to misinterpret it. And that is a part of getting on board and dismantling perfectionism is that, okay, the reality is there is always going to be this amount of risk, just being a human being that moves through the world. And how can I acclimate and, and normalize that for myself? Right. How can I allow and let go a little bit more mm -hmm. and just realize that that is the nature of things that I, I only have control over my own self. You know, I have control over my breath. I, when I'm doing well, have control over my thoughts, but I have control over, you know, choices that I make in my life, but I can never control outside of that. Yep. Um, and when I try to, it just, you know, it runs me down or it, it overwhelms. Um, so then how do you guide people to find that, that balance of the structure that their brain wants, that their mind wants structure and, and a framework to operate from. And then that allowance of, of chaos that is the human nature, I guess. Yeah. How do you guide people to, to find a way to even that out for themselves? Yeah, it's a really good question. So the first, the first thing in the foundational practice that I teach people is just the noticing practice. And so that is just the, the practice of putting your awareness on what is happening right here, right now in your environment. So like in your physical environment, when you're looking around in your self, right in your physical body, interacting with gravity, right. You're already, you're always touching something for, unless you're literally airborne, right. Your feet are always on the ground or mm -hmm. you're sitting on a seat, right. You're always interacting with your environment in some way, shape or form. So there's that physical, you know, exoroception and then your interoception, right. All of the things that happen inside of your body and that inform your experience but often we aren't even connected to, we're not tracking, we don't even know what's going on. So just getting people to start to, I kind of liken it to doing a push-up, right? In the beginning, push-ups may seem really, really hard, but we have to find our entry point to build up that strength. So if we want to be able to deal with um, life, <laughs> basically, <laughs> if we want to be able to deal with things that are unpredictable mm -hmm. and outside of our control, we have to figure out how to anchor to something that is predictable and in control. So like you just said, noticing that we're breathing on a regular basis. How do I know that I'm breathing? Everybody knows that differently. Maybe they're feeling the air coming in and out of their nostrils or their mouth. Maybe they're feeling their rib cage expand. Maybe they're feeling their lower back or their belly expand and contract. So just starting to get people to anchor to a moment, how to get back to this is my reality in this moment, this is what's happening in this moment. And when you can continuously anchor to that and like find yourself in the chaos, it makes dealing with everything else so much more possible.
Right. Gives you a grounding, yep. you know, like, yeah. Feet to stand on literally. Yep. I am in this room. And that's the, the premise of a lot of mindfulness meditation techniques and cognitive behavioral therapy. Some of the techniques are just like, you know, feel yourself in the room, look around and, and notice the objects and give them a name. There's the chair, there's a plant, there's this, that the light is on, the light is off just to kind of bring yourself back because the mind has this way of <laughs> wandering and imagining and worrying and just taking you in all kinds of places. But when we can settle back into this moment with an anchor, whether that's the breath or feeling the seat, you know, of the chair that we're sitting in, that's, that's going to give us a steady platform then to, to make decisions from. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I, I think it's important for everybody to find their own way in. Um, you know, for instance, uh, you know, I'll have some clients who they're not going to do anything seated, but they can do something moving, right? So they'll go for a walk and that's how they ground themselves. Or some people will sit in in stillness and, and ground themselves that way. And it's it's just like finding our own accessibility into these practices in a way that works for us and our unique systems, right? Because we're all built differently, right? There are these practices that have their general premises, but we all have to kind of find our way in and just continuously treating ourselves kindly during the entire process. And I think that's really the the biggest thing is, is because the thing that's so funny about perfectionism, it is <laughs> so layered. So it's like, okay, now I'm going to do this practice perfectly, right? So now I got to <laughs> notice perfectly. And if I'm not, I'm not noticing perfectly, then what does that mean? And it's like, well, the more you are focused on doing something perfect, in all reality, the less you're actually getting out of the practice, because the practice is you're not letting the practice in, in a lot of ways. So right, right. yeah, so yeah. it's a really layered, very fascinating uh, journey today. <laughs> Would you say that uh, in general, from what you've seen working with people that perfectionists can, can find those mindful moments in movement easier than sitting down and, and doing like meditative work, like would they be more willing to find it in a walk or a dance class or something that, you know, involves their body or have you yes. seen a hundred percent. I think walking and I do a lot of actually, I do a lot of my coaching walking and talking where people will go on walks and they'll take me on a walk with them because Lovely. I found that being able to move, right. Especially that movement where legs are moving, arms are moving, right. The full body is engaged and being mm -hmm. able to talk it starts to change state a lot quicker than people who are trying to um, just approach it from a stillness perspective where sometimes that is too, it's like too much thought wrangling. There's too much analyzation going on and movement tends to just be something that just the nature of movement creates a state shift. So mm -hmm. I love when people go for a walk and we do a coaching call together, or I love when people start to realize, oh, wow, like I realize that I can deal with things a little bit better once I go take myself out in nature, right? There are just changing our environments, which is such a simple thing, which again, has been very difficult for people um, over the last year. It makes a huge difference. And so it's not just a, a mind wrangling thing. Um, having the ability to get up and go somewhere else also makes a big, a big shift for people. Absolutely. And I mean, being in nature is a whole other topic, the way that helps shift your state, right? Yeah. Um, but also, there's something about I find there's something about the rhythm, too, that even if you're stuck in your apartment, like a lot of us were during COVID, mm -hmm. um, 
it, there's a rhythm, like you could do some Qigong or you could do some sun salutations and something rhythmic, even just walking. If you have a big enough apartment walking in your apartment. And like you said, that, you know, the arm swinging and that whole, the way that it engages your nervous system and switches it is it's so empowering. And I think that a lot of people during COVID started taking walks. Maybe they weren't getting out for hikes or they weren't going somewhere far, but a lot of people got this regular activity, daily routine of going out for more walks. Like that's, that's all I can do today. So I'm going to go for a walk. So I think hopefully that (laughs) the wisdom of walking and shifting the state has been spread a little bit more during COVID. (laughs) Totally. I, and it's one of those things that I, you know, my husband and I joke about it is we're kind of like, we're, we're sort of, we're so tired of walking, but we, you just have to get creative with it. Like, so for instance, I will, you know, if I'm writing thank you notes, I have a pile of letters on my, you know, on my counter and I will go walk to the, if I have a point to my walk, it helps me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to walk to the post office today. Right. I will like take my letter and walk to the post office, or I'm going to walk to the library to return a book. Right. So for me, I have to kind of work with myself in a lot of ways when I'm like, I don't have the motivation, you know, because it it can be very difficult sometimes for me personally to just like get the motivation to get out there. But if I have a way, okay, I'm going to drop off a letter. I'm going to go pick up something from a neighbor. I'm going to, you know, that's my way to create movement. And I also, you know, I work from a standing desk too. So just being on my feet, um, sometimes I'll roll my feet on a tennis ball, just something to kind of keep my body stimulated and energized. Cause I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that also can get difficult is, is calling upon that energy, um, when things get stressful. Right. It's almost like it, it, more energy goes into the mental, the thinking, the planning, the worrying, um, you know, and then, and it comes out of the body, but when yes. you can bring it back with a sensation, like this real palpable sensation, perception, a tennis ball under the feet is very, you know, like that, it kind of draws it back out of the mindset and back into the body. And then there you are like a little bit more grounded mentally because it's not, there's not overactivity, which exactly. you're right. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people, um, you know, especially there's really, high functioning, high functioning anxiety and, and these type A people and thinking about uh, attorneys, people that work in finance and, and they are just go, go, go. So many expectations daily on them. They have a hard time sitting and, and doing these types of like quiet practices of mindfulness because it just like, it's like all of it goes from their body up into their head. And then they're, like you said, wrangling with thoughts and ideas and, you know, are they doing this well enough? And then it becomes a whole cycle and they're back to perfectionism again um, and judging themselves. And it's, it's very hard to let go of that and teach compassion. But when you can draw that out with the body and that's what, you know, yoga and all kinds of sports, really, like any kind of movement can be a meditation in that it really takes you away from the thinking very in a natural way. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest challenges for perfectionists is that they're wired in a way that relaxation and comfort almost feel wrong to them, right? Mm. Busyness feels right. Having adrenaline rushing through your system feels right. Moving really quickly feels right. So that's their access point. So it's like, okay, if we can access you there, how can we slowly start to rewire and retrain your body so that comfort actually feels 
comfortable as opposed to like something that's wrong? How can we start to rewire so that you can actually start to ease into relaxation and feel okay about relaxation? You know, because one of the things I hear a lot is like, I get blank space on my calendar and it's like, I impulsively fill that spot immediately. Like I'm not comfortable having that space. They want it, but they're not comfortable with it. Right. So it's just, how do we slowly acclimate the body to a different way? Absolutely. Yeah. I find that too. I've been noticing the, the people that have that tendency uh, during this time of working from home and adjustment to work teams, I feel like many of them have gotten even deeper into that. They're working from home and there aren't real boundaries mm -hmm. of, you know, when they should stop working and they are quite literally addicted to it. It is on a, a chemical level, that mm -hmm. adrenaline and those other chemicals, like they're addicted to completing tasks and getting things done and, and just being engaged. And a lot of the time it's also because they're not ready to sit with themselves. They're not ready to sit with their own thoughts because of something, you know, that's going on in their life. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think using movement is just a beautiful way to access and, and kind of in a gentle way, in a natural way, maybe even those things that they're not ready to look at yet, they start to come up and they can reflect on them during the movement without the struggle. A hundred percent. Yep. I love that. In your experience with mindfulness and interpersonal meditation, what do you think could be done to, to have a positive impact on society? I think that having conversations like these are really valuable. I think that having just conversation in general is valuable. Um, one of the ways that I learn best is when I get to hear, like when I get to see or experience or hear about the way that other people live, because I have, you know, I think that all of us to some degree make a lot of assumptions about how other people feel and what other people's lives are like. And I have a, I obviously have a different perspective now because I, you know, I get to see the inner lives of people on a regular basis. I get to really hear about people's fears. I get to hear about what people are worried about, what they think about. And the more I talk with people, the more, the, the more we actually are the same in terms of what we want and how we feel and what we desire and what we are nervous about in relation to other people. So I think that I would love to see people be able to have more honor, honest conversations with each other about what is challenging to them or what is difficult for them and, and to have people be able to listen and relate and, and just share more of that of ourselves. Because I think that there is a very um, you know, another thing that I find with perfectionists is when I ask them, what is your internal experience of perfectionism? And what are other people seeing on the outside? And a lot of them say, people have no idea on the outside, right? They don't know what I'm going through, but I feel very differently. So mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of us that are going through that. And I think that having conversations and just starting to be a little bit more honest about how we're doing, um, is a good is a good starting point and and people being able to have these conversations and not have it mean something bad about them. I think that's one of the biggest things that people feel like, well, this feeling, this some this means something negative about me. And what I want to say is feeling is human. 
the meaning is just something that we do as humans, right? We want to make meaning out of everything, but just having conversations, being honest about where we're at with the people we love and being able to be witnessed is extremely powerful and extremely healing. And I wish that my hope is for people to be able to engage in a little bit more of this. And I'm hoping that some of that actually has happened due to this essentially like collective trauma we've all been going through and a lot of people being able to relate to that and start there. Well, good. That's the whole point of this podcast is to <laughs> is to kind of get people listening and talking about their own experience throughout life and and how mindfulness has helped change little bits of them. And hopefully there's a sense of the listeners are saying, yeah, like I, I went through that too, or I can see that, or I've heard other people go through that. We look to others as humans. It's about us looking to others to see what choice they're going to make or to see how they feel about things. And, and it's something that we do unconsciously. So the more that we're talking about this rather than, I think we do have an obstacle with social media these days too, and, and <laughs> it's yes. not really displaying how things actually are. Yes. So it's even more important than the more we talk about how things actually are in our everyday struggles and what we want out of life, the more we can really talk about those authentic things, um, the more people will trust themselves yeah. you know, and, and not beat themselves up. So, yep, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? We can't, we are wired to belong. We are wired to be connected to other people. That is how we are wired. So mm -hmm. it's normal to feel like I want to fit in, right? I want to do what other people are doing. And it's just like, well, yes, a hundred percent. I support that. And let's just make sure you're relating to reality and not the reality you think is going on that people are basically performing right on social media. Like let's actually right. connect to the authentic reality that people are living. Right. Right. Which is up and down and up and down. Yeah. That's the nature of life. Yep. yep. I totally agree. I would love to see more of that. And I'm, I'm happy that your listeners are going to be able to get, get some doses of that. It's really powerful. Absolutely. Well, Audrey, this was such a fun conversation. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, would you like to tell the listeners where they can check out your work or book a session with you? Yeah. So my, uh, my website is fortitude and flow. The fortitude and flow process is the process that I use with my clients. So if you go to fortitude and flow.com, uh, people can check out if they, um, join my email community, they are, I give out a meditation that goes all through this noticing practice that we talked about today. And I just write about this stuff on a regular basis. So I run monthly, uh, monthly free workshops, and I have a, a membership group and I work one on one with people. So that's the best place for people to get in touch. And if you're a social media person, I show up pretty um, humanly, I guess, on social media and uh, <laughs> on Instagram. My handle there is also at fortitude and flow. Great. Fortitude and flow. Thank you so much, Audrey. Thanks, Jessica. Take care. Bye. I want to thank the audience for tuning in for this episode of Mindscaping. And I hope you found some great pointers here in this talk. And I hope that you'll join us again soon. Until then.